0: for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, April 2nd, 2018. Oh yeah, we're gearing up for the Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. That's not this week, though. We have to sort through all of them, all of the submissions, and then decide on who's going to make the final cut for your consideration. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of really doodle stuff being said ...about Jesus, and we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles, and apostlelets, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God... Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that's put forward, it's not biblical. It's false doctrine. It is a twisting of God's Word. It goes way beyond what Scripture says in many cases, and in other cases, it's rank heresy. And so we demonstrate this over and again uh, by (laughs) doing what we do here day in and day out. Now, one of the things that uh, I do during this time of the year is we we hold a contest every year it's politically incorrect it does rankle some people and i understand why that would be the initial reaction of some people at you know you know when they hear about this that being said is that the the whole point of the contest is a comparing and contrasting and you will know if you have a pastor who is a bible twister who is narcissistic or man-centered or scratching, itching ears, telling you what you want to hear and things like that, oftentimes the, the, the easiest way to spot it is by listening to his Easter sermon. And so what we do year in and year out is we hold a contest, Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. We open it up for anybody to submit, anybody they would like. We do end up previewing every single submission. And the point is, is that over and again, we note that the false teachers have no clue how to rightly handle a biblical text, especially the ones that talk about Jesus' resurrection and what that is truly about. So what we do the first week coming out of Easter, first week coming out of Easter, the the we only play good sermons in the second hour Yeah, that will give you... Kind of, if you would, a baseline for comparison in the next week. We'll do a little bit of, we'll give a couple of of example of of things that you're looking for, uh, you know, when it comes to con- you know submissions and who to consider for submitting for our contest. And um, having done this now, this will be the ninth t- the ninth annual <laughs> uh worst Easter sermon of the year contest that we've held. I think I think this is year nine. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look at the archives, but yeah, it's, it's getting up there. Let's put it this way. PCR and Fighting for the Faith will be 10 years old on June 30th. Uh, so, so I think I started this the first year that I was broadcasting. Pretty sure I did. I'd have to go back and look. But um, we've been doing this for a long time, and I've noticed now that when it comes to uh, the types of bad sermons that we get— they generally fall into maybe a, about a half a dozen different standard categories the best way I could put it um you 'll get the people who uh you know allegorize the stone as you know something that you know is an obstacle for you experiencing a better life and nonsense like that. You get just crazy off the chain theatrics you know it it it, it uh, yeah, and and then you've got the whole liberal thing where they're trying to figure out how to allegorize the resurrection cuz they don't believe in miracles and you know and then you get like a Bill Johnson uh, <laughs> Easter sermon and at the end of it you're scratching your head going what did i just listen to so uh, what we're going to do uh, for today's episode of fighting for the faith we're going to start out by um, with a um, a Joel Osteen, not actually Joel, Victoria Osteen update. We'll play the Joel Osteen family update music, and we'll give you an example, uh, something that won't make the cut this year because it was from last year, um, and we'll let you hear, uh, you know, an ex- perfectly terrible example of a bad Easter sermon uh, delivered by Victoria Osteen, who, number one, shouldn't be preaching. God's Word forbids her to do that. And number two, clearly demonstrates she has no clue that the Bible's about Jesus, not about her and not about you. So uh, we'll, we'll take a look. You know, We'll kind of roll back the tape a little bit, listen to what she did last year for her Easter sermon. And, uh, and then from there, we're going to um, have a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange syndicate, twin Spin. We're going to listen to Jennifer LeClaire from a recent episode of her Walking in the Spirit podcast talking about Beware the Miriam Spirit. Yeah, I have no idea what that is. Uh, So we'll take a look at that. You know, this is a woman who believes in sneaky squid spirits, Jezebel spirits, um, religious spirits, and now apparently Miriam spirits. Then we will uh, listen to Rodney Howard Brown. And, uh, yeah, Rodney Howard Brown of the Laughing Revival. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's going to be explaining to us about a personal Pentecost that we can have by taking a text that is clearly about Jesus and wrenching it away from Christ and making it about something completely different. And then to round out number w- our number one, we're going to uh, listen to Rob Bell. Mm-hmm. Rob Bell has uh you know weighed in on the rob cast, yeah, if you ever have listened to it, you may have felt felt robbed, and uh he misses the whole point of the garden from john uh chapter uh, nineteen and twenty the the garden tomb uh, the you know the gardener and all that kind of stuff and so and you know so that will be our. Number one, hour number two, uh, we are going to head over to Kongsvinger Lutheran Church, Oslo, Minnesota, where Pastor Chris Rosebro is the pastor. In note this, the pastor and the pirate are two different vocations, and uh, we're going to listen to a sermon titled "The Risen Jesus Is No April Fool." And you are going to one of the reasons I decided to put this sermon up against Rob Bell, at least so close in the program is because, you know, I took great pains in my Easter sermon to flesh out the meaning of the fact that Jesus was laid in a garden tomb, and uh, Mary Magdalene thought he was a gardener. That all comes into play in rightly exegeting the text, so uh, hopefully that will be a a helpful uh, contrast for you. So. That will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And so that you know, so that you know, um, if you would like to submit a sermon to be considered for this year's worst Easter sermon of the year contest, the way you do that is send an email to talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Send me a link to the sermon. A little bit of a description of the sermon may be helpful in the subject line of the email. Type out Worst Easter Sermon Contest. It makes it easier for my email program to sort them. And if you would like to have somebody submitted uh, for consideration for having their good sermon played during this week, please email me that link as well, subject line, good Easter sermon, Uh uh-huh, and send that to TalkBackAtFightingForTheFaith.com. So, strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. we got a lot of ground we need to cover. And since we're going to be begin with uh, Victoria Osteen kind of demonstrating f- for you the kind of th- nonsense you're looking for in a Worst Easter Sermon submittal, let's do this.
1: When I'm feeling lonely, sad, sad as I can, can be. be.
0: All by myself, an uncharted island in an endless sea What makes me happy, fills me up with, with glee. glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me
2: My shiny teeth that twinkle, just like the stars in space
3: My shiny teeth that sparkle and beauty to my face My shiny teeth that glisten, just like the Christmas tree
0: no, walk a mile just to see me smile. Woo! Shiny teeth and me. All right, so we're heading over to Lakewood. We're going to be listening to last year's, uh, a portion of last year's uh, Easter sermon from Victoria Osteen. And uh, we'll note that uh, this is about how God will roll away the stones in your life. Because, you know, when Jesus rose from the grave... They uh, He rolled away the stone that was keeping him in the grave. Talk about missing the whole point of the resurrection. Here's Victoria Osteen.
2: Ever watched a movie or a show and you'd seen it before, you knew the end of the story. Maybe you were watching it with a friend and they knew, they didn't know the end of the story, but you did. So when all the suspenseful parts were coming, you weren't anxious or concerned because you knew the end of the story. You see, today you and I are living in the end of the resurrection story. See, we know what happened the day that Jesus
0: died. We know. What do you mean by living in the end of the resurrection story? Yeah, the resurrection thing happened, you know, 2,000 years ago, at least regarding Christ. Now, we as Christians, we have our own resurrection to look forward to on the day that Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. That will be the great general resurrection from the dead. It will be the day of judgment. And because we are in Christ and our sins are forgiven, we do not have to fear God's wrath or judgment or anything of the sort. And uh, and so you, you kind of get the idea. But what does she mean we're living in the end of the resurrection story? Already we're experiencing slippage. And this is the kind of stuff you're listening for in a bad Easter sermon.
2: What happened when he was buried, he rose again. We're living at the end of the story. But see, 2,000 years ago, there was disciples and followers of Jesus that were actually living in the story. They didn't know what was going to happen. You know, the interesting thing about a story, when you're watching it, that's one thing. But when it's happening to your own life, That's an entirely different thing. You see, when it's happening to you and you face difficulties and challenges and suspenseful plots, it's difficult. You can't always remember the end of the story. You can't always remember what has been promised. See, today I want to talk about a band of women, one being Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and a few others. You see, they lived, they were living the story 2,000 years ago. In fact, they saw Jesus as he walked the earth. They saw him do tremendous miracles. They saw him open blind eyes and deaf ears. In fact, Mary Magdalene, her life was completely changed, radically changed by Jesus. She had a miserable life. The Bible says that she was full of darkness, but Jesus touched her and she became full of life. See, she was living the story of this grand Savior, Jesus. But she.
0: She was living the story. Again, weird way of talking.
2: So, lived the story of his death. She walked through the story when he hung on the cross. She saw him as he died slowly on that cross. She saw when they took him down and Joseph. Asked for his body so that he could wrap him in linen and take him to a tomb. And that tomb was sealed that day with a huge, huge stone. She saw it all. And as Jesus lay in that tomb, her hopes, her dreams lay there with him.
0: Her hopes and her dreams lay there with him. Hopefully her hopes and dreams were about Jesus.
2: You see, she saw it all. She was living in the story. One day after the Sabbath, she woke up early in the morning. The Bible says the sun had just come up, and she and that band of women, they gathered spices.
0: Now notice, this is another thing to pay attention to. She's not actually reading out a biblical text. Uh-huh. Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes when a pastor or a preacher is summarizing the story. They're doing so because they don't want to read the biblical text because the biblical text doesn't say what they want it to say. So by summarizing it, they can manipulate the story and manipulate it in a fashion that is conducive with their false teaching.
2: They wanted to anoint Jesus' body one last time. They were on their way to the tomb. I can imagine it was still misty in the air. There was still dew on the grass. They had all their stuff. They knew their assignment. They knew what their heart was beating for. And they were on their way. But on that path to the tomb, they remembered something. They remembered the large stone that sealed the entrance of that tomb.
0: All right. Yeah, that's right. They did remember it. And that's part of one of the accounts uh, given in the four Gospels. So now the move here, and this is a typical standard move from from people who are not qualified to be pastors, who do not recognize or understand that God's Word is about Christ, not them. What she's about to do is she's going to allegorize the stone. Mm -hmm. So the stone then will represent obstacles in your life to achieving health happiness wealth fame fortune influence affluence things like that and so you know it it was an obstacle that was keeping them from jesus just like there are stones in your life to keep you from the things you you desire to have and do
2: and they begin talking among themselves about that big obstacle they begin thinking, how in the world are we going to move that stone? The Bible says in Mark sixteen four. they said among themselves, who will help us roll away the stone? You see, that stone represented a block to them. As long as that stone was there. So
0: it represented a block to them. And so now she's already allegorizing it because that stone now will, will, will represent a block in your life.
2: Couldn't enter the tomb. And anoint the body of Jesus. That stone was too big for them to move themselves. Have you ever felt that way before?
0: Has- um, I wasn't there when Jesus was buried. Mm. I have never experienced the anxiety of figuring out how to move the stone away from Jesus' tomb. And you'll note the reason I say that is because what she's done is she's spiritualized, allegorized the stone. And and now she's totally wrestling away from the account who the account is, is about. This is about Christ. The I mean, if CNN were to – if this were to happen today and CNN and Fox News and MSNBC and Reuters and uh, the Associated Press – and you know, and the the Telegraph in the UK were all to cover this story. The lead would be, you know, Jesus rises from the grave, tomb empty. It and I mean, and everyone would be going, "Oh my goodness, whoa! A guy actually rose from the grave." You've got to be kidding me. It's not about the stone at all, but that's where she's focusing.
2: doesn't ever blocked your life. Maybe you've heard your own self saying, who's going to help me move this thing? Have you ever had a block in your life? Maybe you wanted to start a new business, but you kept hitting obstacles.
0: Right, obstacles to starting a new business. The same as the stone over the tomb of Jesus. Fail.
2: In your resources. Maybe you had a stone of an unwanted divorce. A stone of a bad medical report.
0: A stone of a bad medical report, yeah.
2: Stone of fear.
0: Stone of fear, yeah. Suffering from f- stone fears, yeah.
2: Stone of debt. See, those stones, they're real. They come in different shapes and different sizes. Maybe the stone you're, not face- you're facing today is not as big as the one at the tomb. Maybe it is.
0: I'm not facing any stones. You've missed the whole point of this text.
2: Can I tell you? It's a, it's a stone that wants to block
0: you. Oh, no, the stone wants to block me. The stone literally has a will of its own now. Oh, no. We need to call the Rolling Stones.
2: They come in different shapes. They come in different sizes. But you know what the purpose is? The purpose is to stop us. The purpose is to trap us, thinking that we'll never overcome that stone. It's too big. The challenge is too hard. We might as well quit now. You know what I loved about... Mary and Martha, uh, Mary and Mary, was the fact that when they remembered the stone, they didn't stop. They
0: They just kept going, man.
2: And when they got to the tomb, the Bible says that they looked up and they were so surprised. The stone had been rolled away.
0: No way. (gasps) So God wants to move the stones out of my life, too, right? Wrong. This is a complete mangling of this text. There is no such promise regarding the stones in your life.
2: Stone was not blocking the tomb anymore. The obstacle that was trying to defeat them had been rolled away. Think about that just a minute. What they were worried about, what was there, is now gone. Mary walked into the tomb and saw the angel, and the angel declared to her, Are you looking for Jesus? He's not here. He's risen. He's risen. You see, the problem that she was facing that day was met with a promise, the promise of the resurrection. As soon as the angel told her he's not here, he's risen. The Bible says that she was reminded of the promises of Jesus. He said, I'll rise again. He said the temple will be built back in three days. See, when she heard it, she remembered the promise. Sometimes when you're walking through a difficult situation and there's obstacles in your path, it's hard to remember those resurrection promises.
0: Um, there, there are resurrection promises regarding unwanted divorces, uh, terrible jobs and debt and starting a business and stuff. No, really, there are not.
2: But can I tell you today, stones are meant to stop you. Sometimes there are stones in reality that you cannot move on your own. They are impossible. They're out of your control. But can I tell you today that Jesus is alive and he's still rolling away the stones?
0: I mean utterly miserable. The fact that the people there are clapping for this nonsense shows that they are under a strong delusion. There is no promise that God's going to roll away stones in your life because the stone was rolled away from his tomb. That I mean, it's just utterly absurd. I think you get the point. All right, moving along, we're going to uh, start into a... Uh, Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange, Syndicate, Twin Spin. So uh, let's do this.
1: Down at an English fair, one evening I was there When I heard a showman shouting underneath
0: the flare I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts There they are, standing in a row Big one, small one, some as big as your head Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the sherman said I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts Every ball you throw will make me rich There stands me wife, the idol of me life Singing roll-a-bone, a ball, a penny, a pitch
1: Singing roll-a-bone, a ball, a penny, a pitch Singing roll a, penny a pitch. Singing Roll a ball, a ball, roll a ball, a ball, sing and
0: roll a ball, a ball, a penny a Yeah, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, so we're uh, heading over to Jennifer Leclaire's "Walking in the Spirit" podcast, and a little bit of a note, uh, the history, if you would, of Jennifer Leclaire. This is a woman whom we've te- we've heard her teach that there is a sneaky squid spirit that there is a Jezebel spirit, that there is, well, a religious spirit. But did you know (gasps) there can also be a Miriam spirit? And this is a perfect example of totally wrestling a text and making it about something that it is not about. And what's fascinating here, there's a weird irony, and that is, is that if there were a Miriam spirit, Because of who Jennifer LeClaire claims that she is, there's a really good chance she'd actually have that spirit. I'll explain as we go. Here's Jennifer LeClaire.
4: Jennifer LeClaire here, senior leader at the Awakening House of Prayer, founder of the Ignite Network.
0: All right. So note, senior leader of the Awakening House of Prayer, where in Scripture are senior leaders discussed? Now, I know about pastors. I know about elders and deacons. I do not know of any biblical office of senior leader. And if she were a pastor of the Awakening House of Prayer, Scripture forbids her from being so because she's a woman. So now we've got a weird thing here, and that is, is that she doesn't actually hold a biblical office, yet she's claiming that she has an authoritative office that she holds, within Christ's church, but she doesn't. She's not qualified to be so, and she's literally invented her own ecclesiastical church office. Hmm, we continue.
4: I want to share with you for just a few moments today about the Miriam spirit. Now, I call it that because it's the characteristic that Miriam manifested and it also manifested in Michael the daughter of Saul.
0: Michal, yeah.
4: So we're going to press into this revelation and I urge you if you see this heart in yourself repent.
0: If- now, I'm going to note that the whole purpose of this teaching is to make it so that you do not question or challenge. Uh-huh. The senior leader of the awakening house of prayer. That's really the purpose of this teaching.
4: If the Spirit is coming against you, you need to confront it and you need to intercede. Let's just look in Scripture in Numbers 12. Numbers 12. And then we're going to put our finger in Samuel, Second Samuel 6. And look at Michael. So look at like two of these women now. This can work through a man or a woman. Don't start... Pointing your fingers at the ladies, men of God. Numbers 12, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married the Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Has he not spoken also through us? And the Lord heard this. Now now notice, they were speaking against Moses, not in the hearing of Moses. the lord heard it we have to understand when we gripe and complain against our leaders or even against each other the lord hears it the bible says that we will give an account
0: yeah you see what i'm saying when you gripe and complain against your leaders you know leaders like the senior leader of the awakening house of prayer then god is gonna he's gonna hear that and you probably have been attacked and assaulted by a miriam spirit yeah, says no biblical text anywhere. Yeah, this is talking about the actual historical woman Miriam, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, and her rebellion against the office that God had established and had put Moses into. Now we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get back from our break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard. On this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Pyro Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at Pyro Christian. When we come back, we're going to be hearing more from Jennifer LeClaire, Rodney Howard Brown, and Rob Bell. Stay tuned, don't want to miss them. We'll be right back.
1: We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Church Day Select. Oh, has it been a week already? Right, a uh, package for you, ma'am. Just uh, sign there. Oh dear, I was expecting something a bit uh, larger. Is that all there is? Uh, afraid so, ma'am. Uh Sorry to disappoint. Oh, <laughs> no worries. I'm sure more will be on the way. Uh Thank you so very much. Uh, have a good day, ma'am. I wonder what's in here. Oh, I do hope I haven't been ordering chairpits in my sleep again. Oh, it's a DVD. Oh, that said better not be another one of those Lectio Divina thingies.
3: If you are watching this, it means that you have purchased the Post-Apocalyptic Preparedness Package. You have bought the...
1: Bronze Edition. Bronze
3: Edition? Please don't be alarmed, as your full order will be arriving within the next few weeks. Next few weeks? The end of the world might have happened by then.
1: I should have paid the extra $99.99 for the faster shipping.
3: The purpose of this DVD is to catalog everything that you will be receiving in the...
1: Bronze Edition.
3: ...package, along with information on our other great offers.
1: Looks like there are different chapters to select from.
3: Let's see here. Toiletries, clothing,
1: nourishment, shelter, sanitation, medicine, gardening, energy, communication, weaponry, underwater, basket weaving. Okay. Additional accessories, expansion packs, and, ooh, play all. (laughs) I'll choose that one.
3: As you know, God has given us signs in the sun, moon, and stars that the end times are approaching. After the destruction of your country, the everyday comforts you currently enjoy will have been disintegrated by God's judgment. By investing in our merchandise, you have proven to God that you have audacious faith in his prophets, seers, and visionaries. Now we're ready to dive into the crucial survival equipment you have purchased.
1: Well, I'm certainly glad that God knows I'm faithful. No doom and gloom for me.
3: You have purchased the... edition. Please pay attention to which items you will be receiving.
1: I have my new pad ready. Part 1. Toiletries.
3: In the bronze edition, your toilet paper will be made from the finest scratchy banana leaves and corrugated tree bark.
1: Toilet paper made from scratchy banana leaves and Wait, what?
3: In the silver edition, your toilet paper will be made from all natural, organic, recycled plastic. In the gold edition, your toilet paper will be made from hand-quilted spider silk. This- can't be right! In the bronze edition, you will receive a block of wood with bristles and a baking soda solution for maintaining healthy teeth and gums. Here's a pro tip you can use your own hair as dental floss. Yeah. In the silver edition, you will receive.
1: Oh my! I sat on the remote! It's fast forwarding! Um, uh, where's that done play button? Oh, oh, right, there it is. Part 5 Nourishment.
3: In the Bronze Edition, you will receive 24 cans, each containing one month's supply of beans. As a nifty space saver, the cans are first filled with fresh river water, then topped off with dehydrated beans. This way, you'll have your food and water in the same convenient package. Strainers and can openers will not be included. The Silver Edition will provide dried fruit and vegetable packets along with a 36-month supply of chicken noodle soup and 50 gallons of distilled water. The silver edition will provide dried fruit and vegetable packets along with a 36 month supply of chicken noodle soup and 50 gallons of distilled water. What? How is that even fair? Gold edition buyers will be given 50 crates of freeze-dried astronaut dinners. Flavors include chicken corn on blue, lobster surprise, filet mignon, oysters, caviar, and steak. Cheese platters will be served on the side of every dish. Water will come in glass bottles, along with a complimentary water fountain with color-changing LEDs. This is ridiculous! I can't believe I wasted my cat's life insurance on this! What else is in this stupid thing? Gold edition shelters have been constructed by our teams ahead of time for you! You will be getting your maps and keys to access your top-secret bunker in the coming weeks. Complimentary bouncy castles and jacuzzis can be found next to the theater room, behind the bowling alley. In the silver edition, you will get him and her matching gardening gloves. For prosperous crops, this edition includes an inflatable radiation-proof greenhouse. Part
1: 33. Communication.
3: Now pay attention, bronze buyers. Using two of your Space Saver nourishment cans, you can attach this six-foot string to each side to make an electricity-free telephone. As a special promotion, we will also be giving out 12-foot strings for long-distance calls. Gold edition weaponry includes six holy hand grenades, one hideaway moat, and... I can't believe this! They didn't say
1: anything about different editions on the website! How, how do I upgrade? I can't survive with any of the useless junk is sending me! What are the shams of these sleaze balls running? I could have sworn she said something about expansion packs.
3: Additional accessories, such as a Holy Ghost decoder ring or a church box CD, can be purchased individually for twenty four ninety nine each. Please wait for our full accessory list. Ah! I don't want to
1: hear any more of this rubbish.
5: Part 104. Expansion Packs.
3: Our hottest item is the Mr. Sparkle Party Pack. This little number comes with four sparkle suits, one disco ball, seizure-inducing strobe lights, and confetti poppers. It's fun for the whole family.
1: I want my money back. This is an
3: absolute outrage. I can't believe I fell for this ruse. This concludes our DVD presentation. If you have any questions, please call the number not located at the bottom of your screen. And remember that all payments are non-refundable and non-negotiable. Thank you and have a wonderful apocalypse.
1: You. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck, because we now, at Pirate Christian Media, have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, exclusive Skype interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster fire. So, if you're looking for some extra pirate Christian media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! <laughs> <laughs> What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To r is to pirate.
0: Na, 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 na. Alright, we're back. Warning, listening to fighting for the faith could cause you to think that the stone in front of Jesus' tomb has nothing to do with the obstacles in your life. That's cause it doesn't. Just a reminder Fighting for the Faith is listener supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew, the other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to ensure the ongoing work and mission of fighting for the faith. And uh, we truly can use your support. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, the way you do that is by clicking on the donate button. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so by you know via Patreon. You can do so by clicking on the become a patron link. And of course, if you would like to do uh, support us the traditional old-fashioned way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box one three three four four Grand Forks, North Dakota. Zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly, honestly cannot keep doing what we are doing here without your support. All right. Let's uh, head back to uh, Jennifer LeClaire's Walking in the Spirit uh, podcast as she's basically invented a new thing the Miriam spirit, the Miriam spirit that uh, could be a coming against you, which would cause you to question and to challenge, you know, um, people like Jennifer LeClaire, the senior leader of the Awakening House of Prayer. We continue.
2: Count for
4: every idle word we speak, how much more words of criticism, words of judgment against our leaders and even against each other. Miriam and Aaron began to talk about Moses because of his Cushite wife. They were mad because he married a Cushite Ha- and then they, they started to attack his mantle. They started to attack his anointing. They started to attack his ministry. So uh,
0: Attack his mantle? Where was his mantle mentioned in Numbers chapter 12? You know, I just have to ask the question because, I mean, let's take a look at the story. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman, and they said, Has the Lord, Yahweh, indeed spoken only through Moses? no. And they said, has has he not spoken through us also? And Yahweh heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly Yahweh said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out, and the Lord Yahweh came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent called Uh, and called Aaron and Miriam, and they came forward. This is similar to Korah's rebellion, by the way. And And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, Yahweh, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Notice it was Moses. It was God, the Lord, who has established Moses in his place, given him the task that he assigned him to do, put him in the office that he was holding there in Israel mm-hmm, as judge. So um, we continue. So then why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of Yahweh was kindled against them, and he departed. And when the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when it comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to Yahweh, O oh God, please heal her, please. But Yahweh said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed for seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march until Miriam was brought in again. And after the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. So speaking against a man that, clearly was established by the Lord himself. And we will note that Scripture is very clear that pastors themselves have been called into the ministry by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, whereas senior leaders of certain places like, um, (laughs) you know, the Awakening House of Prayer, um, yeah, there's no— what are the biblical qualifications that a woman can hold— can possess in order to become the senior leader of the Awakening House of Prayer, which, by the way, is a church down in South Florida. But uh, I'll point this out. Um, The Apostle uh, Paul, in uh, Acts chapter 20, when he was uh, speaking with the pastors of the church of Ephesus, um, he said this, um, I'll start at verse 17. Now, for Miletus, uh, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith, and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. but I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. Now notice the apostle Paul. As an apostle in Christ's church, received his ministry from the Lord. That's an important point. To testify to the gospel of grace. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So pay careful attention to yourselves, and listen to these words, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit is, has made you overseers, or you can say pastors, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. So there we have the Apostle Paul noting that these men are have been made overseers, they've been made pastors by none other than the Holy Spirit. So we can say that the pastoral office is established by Christ and and by the Holy Spirit, and God still continues to send men into the pastoral ministry, calls them puts them into place, they're ordained, put in place. Um, But senior leaders, I'm not familiar with senior leaders. Are you familiar with senior leaders? I'm just not, no, I'm not familiar with them at all. Hmm. Strange. So here she is talking about the dangers of having a Miriam spirit, you know, opposing leaders, and yet this is a woman who's not supposed to be a pastor, who's the senior leader of the Awakening House of Prayer. She's a usurper. She holds an office that has not been established by God. And now she's saying, don't you criticize me. Don't you critique me. Uh Uh-huh. That's what she's saying.
4: Listen, it went from a personal attack to a ministry attack. Now, both sides are wicked. We're not to attack anybody. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? So there's a little jealousy here that Moses was the chosen one. But the verse three says, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting. All three of you. Can you imagine? It's like the the schoolmaster saying, all right, come outside the class. We're going to have a talk. So all the three of them went out, verse 5, Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, Listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams, but this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Verse 9, the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became become white as snow. And Aaron turned toward her and saw her that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us this sin we have foolishly committed. Do not let her be like the stillborn infant from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. And then the Lord replied to Moses, if her father had spit on her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days and after she can be brought back. So here you see a lot. You see that these people that were speaking against Moses were the ones that were very close to him. And sometimes the people closest to you, listen, listen to me. Sometimes the people closest to you, they're the ones that really see all your faults. They're the ones that see your imperfections. They're the ones that see your bad days. They're the ones that see when you're depressed, discouraged. They're the ones that see when you don't think you can move on anymore. There's the ones, they're the ones that see your anger, your frustration. They're the ones that see all the things that are wrong with you. They see it, the ones closest to you. So that's why you have to be careful who you let in that inner circle because they have to be able to handle it. Because if they can't handle it, they'll begin to criticize and find fault. But you know what? It backlashes on them because the Lord holds them responsible for coming against you.
0: You know, based upon the fact that we've heard her abuse her, um, the people who she supposedly ministers to financially, and now in a leadership point of view, you know, don't you dare criticize me is really what the subtext of this is. I think we could begin to safely say that not only is Jennifer LeClaire a false prophetess, but she's all, she's beginning to display the symptoms of somebody who is spiritually abusive. That's the only way I can put it. All right, let's uh, reset the table here, and uh, we'll continue on with our Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate twin Spin. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, Robert Tilton and Hubaba Kanda. So we're heading over to an outfit known as Christ for the Nations as uh, we listen to Rodney Howard Brown of the laughing outpouring, the so-called laughing revival. He, he won't be laughing today, but uh, he's going to be taking a text that is clearly and unambiguously about Christ and totally miss the entire point which just doesn't surprise me considering the type of huckster and charlatan that Rodney Howard Brown is. Let's listen in. Here we go.
5: And I think if people would learn about the anointing, it'll totally change everything, the way you minister, because the anointing is not just for a service. The anointing is actually to live your life. So let's just read here in Luke chapter 4, and I'll just say this. This has probably been my number one mission in now 30, or not before I went in the ministry, but in 38 years of ministry, I went in the ministry 1st of January, 1980, but to study on the subject of the anointing. What is the anointing? How does it function? How to recognize it? And then how to cooperate with it and to be sensitive to his presence, not just in a service. Because that's what old-time Pentecostal people did. They went into service. They felt the presence of God. They were happy. Then they went out. And then they had to deal with hell. So they live in two worlds. How's it going? Well, just really bad. Uh, can't wait to get to the next service.
0: All right. So you're going to notice, I'm going to kind of explain the technique here. He has people with their Bibles open in Luke chapter 4. And his, he's already begun with his theology. He's not letting the text dictate the theology. He's already begun theologizing. And so as a result of that, what we're going to see this text say isn't what it really says. At least what he's going to try to make it say isn't what it says at all. So let's preempt him and take a look at the passage that he's going to attempt to teach from. And it's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. I'm going to start at verse 16. And here's what the text says. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. The Spirit of Yahweh is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So we're going to note here, he's reading from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And this is a prophecy regarding the Messiah, the Mashiach. And so (laughs) the person who this is prophesying about is straight up Jesus. And Jesus is literally going to say, this text is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, it's about me. And this is a well-known messianic prophecy. So Jesus is now applying that to himself. So when we see... The the Spirit of the Lord, he has anointed me, that's referring to the Messiah, the anointed one, not just some generic anointing. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of Yahweh's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. So the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture, this messianic prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? You see, Jesus, their thinking is getting a little bit uppity because he's taken a messianic text, one that is regarding the prophesied Messiah, the son of David, and he's saying that this is about him. Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them again, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you do at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there will be many widows in Israel. There were many widows in Israel in days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and a great famine came over all of the land. Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were, uh, was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But he passed through their midst and went on and went away. So important to note. This is Jesus saying, I'm the Messiah. Messiah, Mashiach, in Hebrew means the anointed one. So this isn't about a generic anointing. This is about the anointed one. And now we've got a big problem because Rodney Howard Brown here has already begun to theologize about some generic anointing that that Pentecostals are supposed to understand and operate in But this text isn't about that at all. What Rodney Howard Brown is about to do is preach a theology that would make the listeners there false messiahs, false Christs. That's the impact of what he's doing. Let's continue.
5: Because the naked, you know, sense his presence. But God's presence comes to live and reside on the inside of us. And the Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels, And so people say, well, I don't feel too anointed today. You don't actually look that anointed, really, to be honest with you. So, you know, we can't go by what you feel and we can't go by the way you look. Because the times that I felt nothing was the greatest move of God that took place. So it's got absolutely nothing to do with your feelings. Do not let your feelings dictate to you what you're going to do. So let's look at this. So. Luke chapter 4, and I read from verse 14, And Jesus returned to the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and they went out of fame of him through all the region round about. He taught in the synagogues, being glorified of all he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he went in the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read, and there was delivered to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me. You could say he hath enabled me. He hath empowered me. He has graced me.
0: No, you cannot say that. Isaiah 61, which is where he's reading from, is a full-blown, well-known prophecy regarding the Messiah.
5: Equip me to preach the gospel to the poor. That means they don't have to be poor anymore. Spirit, soul, and body, because the gospel is all-encompassing. The very word uh, salvation comes from the word sozo, which means soundness, wholeness, healing, preservation, deliverance,
0: everything. Yeah, notice, that's, uh, the, this is uh, what we call illegitimate totality transfer, where you take every possible dictionary definition of a word and pour it into uh, the, uh, that, uh, that instance of a word. You can't do that. You know, when words have multiple definitions, the definition is defined by the context. Uh-huh. So he's, uh huh. So he's twisting God's word here using word games.
5: You need, once salvation comes, it was all paid for at Calvary. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. We sing songs like, let the weak say I am. Let the poor say I am. Let the sick say I am. All right. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. What does that mean? That means in the Amplified it says, the day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound, which is the jubilee, the year of jubilee, where body goes free. Yeah,
0: by the way, if your pastor preaches from the Amplified, run. Chances are he's a word-of-faith heretic and a supreme Bible twister and is a charismaniac. You've got to stay away from that Amplified. Bad news.
5: Jesus was declaring it. And you think about this, this was actually a very short message. It didn't take long to even uh, give it. And you go look down here, they try to kill him. I've never seen a preacher about to be killed off such a short message. Normally, it's when they go on and on for hours that people want to kill him. So, but Jesus' message was short. And then they wanted to kill him. Why? Because he said, today, today is the scripture. What's the big argument today? The big argument today, miracles are not for today.
0: Yeah, this has nothing to do with whether miracles are for today. This text is about the fact that Jesus was claiming to be the fulfillment of that messianic prophecy from Isaiah 61.
5: Tongues is not for today. I said to one preacher, if tongues are not for today, when was it for? Well, back in Bible days. Okay, so then, so what do we have today? Well, it's not of God today, it's the devil. So, okay, so God and the devil swap places. That's crazy thinking, man. Well, well.
0: again, this has nothing to do with cessationism or continuationism. This is a messianic text. Jesus is claiming this messianic prophecy is about him.
5: If, if tongues was of the devil, they'd be using it in the nightclubs. They'd be using it. People would walk up to the bar. No, come on. Let's go. Let's go. There. They'd walk up to the bar. And give me a double whistle. It would be in the movies. The guy would be there, you know, snorting cocaine, Oh, if it was of the devil. Now, there's a billion people on the planet that have been baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking of the tongues. You can't stop the Holy Ghost. You might not want him in your church, but that would mean say he's going to stop. He's going to go down the road and find somebody that's hungry, that's thirsty, that's desperate. You know, if he's not welcome, he'll go somewhere else and he'll get in whatever crack you give him. That's why it amazes me The modern churches, they have like little one-hour dry-cleaning services, and they run basically like, like cattle milking stations, you know. Seven services, one hour. You sit down, that's the end of service. You get up and go, oh, wow, that was church. People spend more time in the latte bar than they do at church. And then they wonder why they don't see a move of God. And wonder why people are dying of cancer and every kind of disease known to man. People are depressed on antidepressants because there's no room for them.
0: Really? At your church, Rodney, nobody ever dies of cancer? Yeah, I seriously doubt that. Uh, People have been dying, well, since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, including the apostles, Jesus' disciples. Yeah, this is really sick and twisted. By the way, we'll have to get to the Rob Bell segment tomorrow
5: goes to move. The only glory they have is a a smoke machine on the platform that puffs out smoke. (laughs) It's the truth.
0: Yeah, that's not a demonic cackle now, is it?
5: And it's like everybody's nervous. They're nervous that if something happens, like last night, you know, power God hit the place, that makes people nervous. Somebody needs to control it, not you. Sit down and shut up. We don't need you to control that. You can't ask the Holy Spirit to come and then shut him down. People get touched. They're gonna go walking and leaping and praising God. You can't. Excuse me. Just calm down. You can't walk like that. You can't leap that high.
0: Again, note this rant that he's on has nothing whatsoever to do with the text that he just read out. The reason he's doing this is because he found the word anointing in there, and he's hijacked it. Rather than make it about Christ, he's now making it about the Pentecostal anointing of the Holy Spirit, the atmospheric anointing thingy, which this text is most certainly not about at all.
5: You're going to offend somebody. Jesus said today, now is the time of salvation. Now, not tomorrow, not next week, now. If he had said 2,000 years ago, there was a man by the name, you know, whoever... And everybody went, amen, hallelujah. If he said 2,000 years from now, it'll come. They would all agree. But because he said today, 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 now is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Then they got mad. They said, well, we know him. Is is this not Joseph's uh, boy? Is it not Mary, his mother? Who, Who does he think he is? Who does this cat think he is? Well, maybe they didn't say cat, but who does he think he is? And then he did the opposite to whatever they wanted him to do. Healed on the Sabbath, ate on the Sabbath, wrecked everything. Who feels cold in the full-time ministry? Raise your hand. The number one attack against you Will be the traditions of men and the doctrines of men that will try to put you into a box and into a cage and tell you, you can't do that. We, you, you know, that's never been done before. Meanwhile, you can write history. You, you, you can go, you can go by the Holy Ghost and do in your nation what has never, ever been done before.
1: Amen. I
0: have no idea what he's talking about, but I assure you, what he's saying has nothing whatsoever to do with what this text says or means. Luke four is about Christ and his anointing him being the anointed one and literally what he goes on to do is fill these people's heads by basically making them believe they're little messiahs. He doesn't say it in in that in that many words, but that is literally the exact consequence of the false teaching that he is giving in that. Sermon. So, yeah, very, very dangerous indeed. All right, we are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at com. or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. When we come back, we're going to end today off with the first of our good Easter sermons, the one I delivered yesterday. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right
5: back. No sneaky squid spirit formed against us will
0: prosper. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today.
1: Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's, it's coffee with milk. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out.
0: We're back. Hour number two, fighting for the faith. First of our good Easter sermons. You'll notice it's exegetical. It proclaims Christ, talks about what's in the text, helps you understand some of the nuance in the text. Now, you'll have to listen to tomorrow's episode to hear how Rob Bell botches the gardener thing. Not this episode. So uh, stay tuned till tomorrow.
1: Bum, bum,
0: bum. Bum, 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 bum. we got the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Kongsvinger Lutheran Church, Oslo, Minnesota. Pastor Chris Rosebro presiding. name of the sermon is The Risen Jesus is No April Fool. It is an exegetical, expository sermon centered on the gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, which you will hear read. Prior to the sermon. So grab a Bible, put your finger at John 20, verses 1 through 18. But in preparation to exegeting it properly, we're going to need to look at some portions of 1 Corinthians 15. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's the sermon The Risen Jesus is No April Fool. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, it's April Fool's Day. Have any of you seen people on social media trolling Christians who are saying on their social media, he is risen, he is risen indeed? Yeah, I've already seen all that kind of nonsense. Let me remind you that God's word says it is the fool who says in his heart, there is no God, not the wise. Of the fool. And Jesus is no April fool. If you would, we're going to take a look at our gospel text, but I want to pick up a few things from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as we consider the glorious resurrection of our crucified and risen Savior Jesus Christ. Here is what it says, starting at verse 1. We're going to read a few passages from this out of order, and there's a reason for that. Here's what Paul writes. It says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, gospel is good news, that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Oh, so good words there. We are being saved because of the good news. And he says, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless, of course, you believed in vain. And then he says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. We learn from the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians that the gospel that he preached was not one that he had heard from a human being, but the gospel that he preached was actually given to him by none other than Christ Jesus himself via a direct revelation. And here's the gospel that he received from Jesus, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. They're, they're all dead now, by the way. They'd be really old if they were still living. Just want to put that in there. But note how the early Christian church kept track of all of the eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. He appeared also to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all to one untimely born. He appeared also to me. And note this, that the apostle Paul, before he was called by Christ, was a murderer. His, well, his conversion to Christianity is akin to had Hitler converted to Judaism. That's how extreme the uh, the conversion was. So then, last of all, to one untimely board, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And so we're going to note here, the good news primarily begins with the announcement that Christ has died for our sins. And this is most important because each and every one of us, after Adam and Eve's rebellion in the Garden of Eden, we are born dead in trespasses and sins. We are active belligerents against God. Each and every one of us is guilty before him. And if you were to stand before God in your self-righteousness, God would have nothing to do with you and you would spend eternity in a lake of fire along with the devil and his angels whom we have listened to. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It's a tough word, but this is the truth. And so it is good news that Christ has died for our sins. But the thing is, is that when it comes to the resurrection, the resurrection is everything. Without the resurrection, how would we know that Jesus is God? The one thing we could say about Muhammad is that he's still moldering in a grave somewhere in Saudi Arabia. We can say of the Buddha that he also, his bones are moldering in a grave somewhere. Everybody who's claimed to be anybody, religious or otherwise, God in human flesh or otherwise, with one exception, they're all still dead. How do we know this? Because we have eyewitness testimony that comes to us in the scriptures. These were written by the eyewitnesses. And so it's important for us to recognize eyewitness testimony forms the basis of our faith. They have seen and they have reported. We believe them by faith. And when you check the evidence of their accounts, it all stacks up. Think of it this way. Every single one of these people that are recorded here in this text, they had much to lose by proclaiming that they were witnesses of the risen Christ. They had nothing earthly to gain. Many of them, in fact, 11 of the 12 apostles go to a martyr's death, proclaiming that they were eyewitnesses of Christ. They had nothing to gain. We must keep this also in mind. The Pontius Pilate and Caiaphas and Annas and the Jews and Pharisees They had every reason to say that he hadn't risen from the grave. They had much to gain in saying that he hadn't raised from the grave, but everything to lose if he truly did rise from the dead. Keep that in mind. And so their lie that the disciples had stolen the body continues to this day, but there's no evidence of such a thing because people who know that they have stolen a body are not generally willing to go to their graves to do so. Keep that in mind. Now, I want to forward just a little bit in 1 Corinthians 15, pick up a couple of passages of verses from starting at verse 35. This will be vital information when we go back to our gospel, and I know I'm reading this out of order, but I want to pick up a few things, and by reading it out of order, they'll stand out just a little bit more. Verse 35, someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? which is a valid question, but Paul says, "'You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life "'unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body "'that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat "'or of some other grain, but God gives it a body "'as he has chosen into each kind of seed its own body. "'Not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind "'for humans, another for animals, another for birds, "'and another for fish.' There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one kind. The glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, one glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For stars differ from star in glory. All of this, then, is the metaphor that he's using to basically say what's coming next. That what we are now is nothing compared to what we will be when Christ calls us from the grave. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable is raised imperishable. You want a vivid picture of what that looks like? Look over there, outside the church, our graveyard. All of our saints who have departed this congregation, who are buried there, they were sown perishable. And when Jesus returns in glory, they will be raised imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, and listen to these words, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of the dust, The second man is from heaven, as was the man of the dust. So also are those of the dust, as is the man of heaven. So also are those of heaven, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And this is good news. And so you'll note the comparison between Adam, the first Adam and Jesus, the last Adam This comes into play because what we will see in our gospel in just a minute is literally, if you would... Many of the elements from the book of Genesis chapter 3 with the garden and all of that stuff being pulled in to the resurrection account in the gospel of John. And it is imperative that we view Jesus as the firstborn from the grave of the new creation. He is the last Adam of this earth. He is the first Adam of the new creation. And we are in him. This is vital. Now back up just a little bit in this text and I want to read out a few verses from chapter 12. Here's what it says. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Oy. How do Christians speak this way? And Paul having to correct them. Years ago, I had coffee with a very famous liberal ELCA female pastor. Her name is Nadia Bulls Weber. You may be familiar with her. And it was, it was a cordial conversation, but as we were sipping lattes and talking cordially, she steered the conversation into the resurrection of Jesus. And she asked me straight up, Chris, what if they find the body of Jesus in Israel? What would that do to your faith? Answer, if they find the body of Jesus moldering somewhere in a tomb in Judea, I've got better things to do than be here on a Sunday because Jesus is not the Easter bunny. He is not Santa Claus. He's not anything like that. If they can prove prove definitively they found the body of Christ, then Christianity is absolutely false and you all need to find something better to do with your time. This is most certainly true. Now, she was quite taken aback by my response. And, she, and so I asked her, what would you do? And she said, well, I would just kind of look at the text and say, where it says that he rose from the grave and realize that maybe it means something different than what everybody has thought all this time. <sighs> no, he rose bodily from the grave. And here's what the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. It's all or nothing with the resurrection. The resurrection proves that Jesus is none other than God in human flesh. The resurrection proves that his sacrifice for our sins was accepted by the Father. And he said he would rise from the grave. If he did not do it the way he said, then he's a liar and you shouldn't be listening to Jesus. This is most certainly true. Paul goes on to say, We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. You better get busy because you don't have a right standing before God if Christ has not been raised from the dead. In fact, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they've perished. So you get better get busy working off your karma or figuring out what you need to get on God's good side if Christ has not been raised from the dead. And if you're thinking, well, that's too late for me. YOLO, I might as well go and do what I want. You only live once Paul then says this, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are to be most pitied. It's all or nothing with the resurrection. If we were playing roulette, which I do not recommend that you do, we bet all the blue chips on Jesus. Period. Trust me, it'll come up. Now, with all of this framing our minds as to how to read what we're going to read next, I would like you to return with me now to the Gospel of John. We're going to go back a few verses into the context because I want to show you a few things. When we last left off with Jesus on our Good Friday service, we read the last part of chapter 19. I want to point out a highlight here. And that is, is that where Jesus was buried, we're going to note that verse 41 says this. Now, in the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a, what's the word? Garden. Garden. There was a garden, in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had been laid. A garden. Hmm. I seem to recall somewhere in Scripture about a garden. Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Remember what Adam's vocation was? Do you remember? He was a gardener. And then he became a thieving gardener, and he got kicked out. But Adam was a gardener. So this is going to play into this because all of the imagery crackles with Genesis chapter 3 here, and you'll see why in a minute. So, now chapter 20, verse 1. On the first day of the week, which is Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, she at this point, and you'll see this as the story develops, is thinking that the Roman soldiers or the Jews had taken Jesus' body away, as if somehow it wasn't enough that they had flogged him, put a crown of thorns on him, punched him, beat him to an unrecognizable state, which is what Isaiah 52 says, and then crucified him and he died and then they pierced his body with a spear, as if that wasn't enough. There, she's thinking they've stolen his body as if they're going to insult his corpse even more. Which is a terrible thing. So this is what her fear is. So she ran, went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. you got to love this. Because the one whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom he loved, that's John, the author of this gospel. And you're going to note, this has some little orneriness to it. John is saying the one Jesus loved. And he's going to talk about his race to the tomb and note the fact that he beat Peter there. (laughs) Ah, young kids, I got to tell you. Anyway, he's the youngest of the disciples as well. So the one whom Jesus loved and they said, and she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. They were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. By the way, this has all of the hallmark classic earmarks of eyewitness testimony, which is certainly what this is. They got to the tomb, and stooping in to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Peter came, following him. You can almost hear him writing in the subtext, huffing and puffing because he's older and out of, out of shape. And when he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, the face cloth which, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. I remember years ago when a church lady in the Nazarene church told me Jesus folded his clothes. He made sure to do his laundry right. You need to do that too. Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's not the point of this text, but I digress. So then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, why does he have to keep putting that in there? He went in and he saw and he believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So you're going to note something fascinating here. We, as we were leading up to Good Friday, Sunday after Sunday, we were noting that Jesus was speaking explicitly about what would happen to him. Boys, we're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man is going to be delivered over to the Gentiles. He's going to be beaten and flogged and crucified and die and rise on the third day. And they were always scratching their head going, what does that mean? You're going to know they didn't get it because nobody was waiting for Jesus to come out of the tomb that were his disciples. None of them were raiding with the praise band and the smoke machine ready to start strumming and singing praises to God as soon as the tombstone rolled away. That wasn't what was going on. And that little embarrassing fact adds even more credibility to this as as being an eyewitness account. Because if we were making up a story... We'd like to write ourselves as the hero and say, well, we believe Jesus all along. And we were there at four in the morning with candle lights and singing hymns and holding vigil, waiting for Jesus to come out like it was Groundhog Day. But that's not what happened. They didn't get it. And Mary at this point still doesn't get it. It hasn't dawned on her yet. Verse 11. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And what follows next is a vivid, vivid picture that actually harkens to something in the Old Testament. Let me explain. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Y'all remember the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark with Indiana Jones? And they, they did a really good job of trying to replicate what the Ark looked like. The top of the Ark was called the Mercy Seat. And the Mercy Seat, what you saw on it, was two angels facing each other. You're going to note, I think if you want a really good picture of what the empty tomb looked like, don't show the front of the tomb with the stone rolled away. Show the empty slab with the two angels facing each other the way they did on the Ark of the Covenant. I think the Ark of the Covenant depicts this right here. That's my personal opinion, but I've got good reason for it. Because they would pour the blood of the sacrifices on the top of the mercy seat. So when you connect that all to Jesus, you sit there and you go, hmm, very fascinating. Verse 13. So the angels, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? See, they know they're in on it. They know that Jesus is raised from the dead. So she said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. And in this account, we learn that the angels are not the ones to announce the resurrection of Christ. Christ does something amazing. And like I said, it harkens all the way back to Genesis 3. They said to the woman, why are you weeping? She said, well, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. Now she's seeing Jesus from her peripheral vision. But she did not know that it was Jesus. So peripheral vision, she's been weeping. You can only imagine the state that she's in. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener. Huh? I seem to recall a gardener in a garden at one point. She said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Beautiful moment. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him in Aramaic and you can almost hear the squeal of excitement. Rabboni, which means Teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Let me translate that idiom for you. That's a straight translation. It's probably best translated if you want to catch the idiom, do not detain me. Because at this point, Mary probably has given him a bear hug or is holding on to him for dear life. Like, I've lost you once. I'm never going to lose you again. It's a beautiful picture. And so he says, don't detain me, for I have not yet ascended to the father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene, a woman, went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Now. Work the biblical typology. It was a woman who was first deceived by the serpent. Who then told her husband, and her husband listened to her, and he ate. All of this took place in a garden. And watch the reversal. The reversal now that Christ has bled and died for our sins. It is a woman who now gets to go tell the men. Take and eat. The Lord is risen. I've got a new fruit for you. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It is so perfect in its details. And I want you to understand that although God has forbidden women from holding the pastoral office, it is women who got to announce that Christ is risen from the grave first. And it is appropriate that they did so. Let us never despise our sisters in Christ. Or Hold them in low esteem because they were given the privilege to proclaim Christ and him raised from the grave first. And it all happened in a garden. You see it? And so with these things in mind, I would like to return to our Old Testament text. And I know our Old Testament text seems like an odd bird. It is a song that was sung after... The forces of Pharaoh and his army were drowned in the Red Sea. Why anyone would pick Exodus 15 as a Resurrection Sunday text might seem a little elusive. But I want you to think of it this way. Scripture is so clear that when you were baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit... You were united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. Your baptism has everything to do with Easter and the resurrection of Christ. And by the way, Brenda and Deanne, happy anniversary on your baptism. And so as we read this text, read it now As a resurrection Easter Sunday text. And when you hear about the forces of Pharaoh in Egypt, see them for what they really always represented the devil and his demon horde. And then sing these praises because it's amazing what our God has done for us, because we could not do it for ourselves because of our sinful condition. Moses sang, the people of Israel sang this song to Yahweh, saying, I will sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host... He cast into the sea. His chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea, in the sea that flowed from his pierced side. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the flood stood up in a heap. The deep congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, "I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them." Such as the murderous thoughts of the devil. But God blew his wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? There is no other God. Who is like you, majestic in holiness? awesome and glorious deeds doing wonders who is like you Lord Jesus who went into the very depths of hell having died on a cross and rose from the grave victorious on the third day you Lord who is like you who takes sinners dead and trespasses and sins and raises them to new life unites them with them in his in his death in his resurrection promises them the forgiveness of sins, and when he returns will say to each and every one of them, Well done, good and faithful servant. Who is like this God? Merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and pardoning iniquity. He is awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. He is risen. Risen Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, the vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.